All right, everybody, if you have your Bibles, hope you do, please open them with me now one last time today to Exodus chapter 20. We have been in this single chapter for 11 weeks together, and God's been very, very good to us. And today, I can't think of a better way to celebrate our five-year anniversary than to consider once again who our God is and how he came down on Mount Sinai to speak with his people. So I want us to read verses 18 to 26. This comes immediately after God has given the Ten Commandments to his people. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Friend, have you ever been excited and terrified about something at the same time? Maybe you're a freshman in college and you are very excited about the new season of life that you are in, but at the same time you are terrified about what the semester might bring. Maybe you've been given backstage passes to see your favorite artist and you're so excited to meet them in person, but you are terrified that you might say something wrong and embarrass yourself in front of them. Maybe you are about to start a new job or a new dating relationship, or even get married, and you're so excited about what all of that means, but then you also have moments when you are shaking with fear because of the uncertainties and because of how big a thing it is. Or maybe you've seen big and beautiful things that make you feel joy and fear at the same time. Have you ever climbed to the top of a mountain and walked to the edge of the cliff and felt the joy at the beauty that was around you, but at the same time suddenly felt deep humility and even fear because of how grand it is and how small it makes you feel? Maybe you have been around a bear or a lion or maybe you have swam near a whale and the beauty and the power is just amazing to behold. It makes you so happy but it also makes you tremble a little bit because you know that if one thing went wrong, you'd be dead. Joy and fear are strange emotions to go together, aren't they? 
Some people might actually suggest that fear and joy cannot commingle, that they are opposites of one another, but I don't think that that is true. In fact, sometimes I think that the more fearful a thing is, the more joy you might have when you are able to experience it in a safe and appropriate way. But the balance of these emotions matters, doesn't it? If you feel too much fear, there there won't be any joy, but if you're overly familiar with something without any sense of wonder and amazement, then your joy will probably not be as full as it could be. Redeemer family, all of this is true with our relationship with our great and holy and majestic God. What we see in this text is good for us today because it does what honestly many Christians and many churches refuse to do. So, so many churches today either want to paint a picture of God that he is only angry and wrathful and that you have no right to be happy or joyful around him, while other churches want to paint a picture of God like he is just our Papa God who loves us and cares for us, who to snuggle up against and who wants to make us laugh and make us comfortable and they never consider the holiness and the majestic power of who he is. Friends, both of those perspectives are wrong. According to God's word, both are imbalanced. God's word wants us to feel both joy and tremendous humility before our great God. Wonder and humility, joy and sobriety, godly fear and godly joy at the same time. Have you ever wondered what the term fear of the Lord really means? The term fear of the Lord is repeated many times in our Bibles and many Christians actually don't like the term because they don't want to worship a God who is fearful. But listen, what we must learn together is that biblical fear of the Lord is different. Biblical fear of the Lord is not terror. No, it is a view of God that includes right humility but also tremendous joy And that is what this text helps us to see together this morning. The main idea for our sermon today is this. To fear the Lord is to view him with right humility and trembling joy. To fear the Lord is to view him with right humility and trembling joy. And we have three points this morning. Number one, logical fear. That's in verse 18. Number two, wrongful fear. We're going to see that in verse 19. And then point number three, rightful fear. We're going to see that in verses 20 to 26. Okay, let's, let's begin with the first point. Point number one, logical fear. How do you feel about the term, the fear of the Lord? Does the term fear in relation to God make you uncomfortable? For some people, I think it actually feels like an illogical term to them. Why? Well, because if you have learned about God as a daddy God or as a God who would never get angry, or if you have been told that the God of the Old Testament, who we see here in Exodus chapter 20, is different in some way from the God of the New Testament, who is only a God of love, that one is a God of fear, that one is a God of love, if if that's how you've learned about God, then the term fear of the Lord will probably seem illogical to you. But, but if God is little more than a divine Santa Claus or a big teddy bear inviting you to come sit on his lap or as a giant teddy bear, if, you, if that is the picture of God that you have, then friends, I need to tell you, you do not yet know the one true and living God. This God, 
Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is different from all of that. Listen, if the term fear of the Lord seems illogical to you because of the wrongful or even imbalanced things that you have heard about him, then God's word wants to adjust your perspective this morning. And this is honestly one of the best things that God's word can do for you today because your view of God is the most important thing about who you are. How you view God will determine the direction of your life. And not just the direction of your life, it will determine how much joy and happiness and peace you have in your soul. Listen, if you lack joy, if you are an unhappy person as a non-Christian or even as a Christian disciple, it might be because your view of God is imbalanced. It might be because you have a small view of God and you need God's word to expand your understanding of who he is and how gloriously powerful and eternally loving he is. But listen, he is not a teddy bear. Look at verse 18. God has come down on Mount Sinai to meet with Israel and he has given the Ten Commandments. He's given the law to them. And now it says in verse 18, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. This is serious. This is God's powerful presence on display. This is how God chose to display who he is to the Israelites. And listen, this is not even a demonstration of his wrathful justice. God's not angry here. He's relating to his people in love in Exodus chapter 20. If you look up at verse 2, he says, I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's loving his people here. He's committing himself to them. This is not the God the judge. This is God the covenant maker. But yet even in the joy of his love, this is how he chooses for us to see him. Mountains shaking. Lightning strikes. Thunder rolls. His holiness is brilliant. His glory is immense. His voice is powerful. Listen, according to Isaiah chapter 6, there are angelic beings who exist before the throne of God 24 hours a day, shouting out before him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Ezekiel describes his vision of the glory of God and when he does, he speaks of storms and burning coals and blazing rainbows. And he says that in response, he fell on his face before him. Listen, church, our God is not a teddy bear. God will later say to Moses in Exodus 34 that no one can even look at him with their eyes and live. He is not a God to be taken lightly like so many do in our day. He is majestic in holiness. His glory is weighty. He is high and lifted up. He is unapproachable in his glory. And so there is a logical fear that we should feel, right? When we encounter power like this, when we encounter holiness like this, we should tremble. We should shake. It's, it's right, it's logical to feel fear before a God who is as majestic in holiness as our God is. About a month ago, we had that massive windstorm that blew through this area of Newark. It was tornado-level winds in a split second. Ashley and I were at home upstairs, and suddenly the, the sky was dark, and the rain was blowing sideways. 
In a matter of moments, dozens of trees in our neighborhoods were torn over. Across the street, our neighbor behind their house, a line of pines just snapped in half. In the other neighborhood, somebody's house was nearly cut in half with two trees falling down on top of it. It was so powerful, and people were shook. People were troubled. And it makes logical sense to be fearful in that moment, right? Listen, you're not wholly sane if in a storm like that you do not feel some amount of fear about the power that is before you. Some of you know that I have many, 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 many traveling disaster stories. I could go on for days. If things can go wrong while traveling, they usually do for me, including one plane catching fire and another plane getting hit by lightning. I remember flying back from Texas one time. It was a late flight. It was about 10 p.m. at night, and we were flying through a massive storm, and in the middle of the storm, our plane got hit by lightning in a bigger way than the pilot had ever experienced. All of the power in the plane went out. The lights were out. The flight attendants couldn't talk to us because there was no power. We took a significant dip. The shaking was violent, and grown men screamed like little children. People, strangers holding hands across the aisle from each other, utter terror. Guess what? When it was over, no one looked around and said, oh, that wasn't a big deal. No, nobody looked and said, oh, I wasn't scared. Even the pilot got on the radio and said, this was a bigger strike than I've ever experienced before. Everyone was afraid. Why? Because it was logical to be afraid. A lightning bolt almost knocked us out of the sky. There's no manning up to something like that. It humbles us all. Friends, this text speaks of thunder and lightning. The mountain shakes. There is no one like our God. He's not a tame lion. It is logical to feel fear before him. And so we must consider what kind of fear are we to feel before him. And that brings us to our second point, point number two, wrongful fear. Have you ever allowed your fear of something to keep you from experiencing something good? Has your fear of rejection kept you from that relationship? Or has your fear of change kept you from that career change? I've heard of people who have gone to places like the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls, and because of a real fear that something might happen to them there, they have refused to even get out of the car to look at the views from a distance. There's a logical fear there. Something might happen to them, but it keeps them from enjoying something that is good. Church, we see that sort of fear in our text today, and we're calling it wrongful fear. Look at the end of verses 18 into 19 again. It says that the, that the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They are terrified before this smoking and shaking mountain. But then if you look at verse 20, you'll see that Moses responds, and he responds by saying to them, do not fear. For God has come to test you, and then he says, that the fear of him may be before you. It's kind of confusing, isn't it? Moses corrects them for fearing, and then says that all of this is so that they might fear the Lord. All of which suggests to us that there is a wrong and a right kind of fear before the Lord. 
So verse 18 shows us that fear is a logical emotion to feel in this moment. God is displaying himself in great power. And honestly, that fear would be even magnified all the more because God has just given the law to his people. This this God who shakes mountains has just given them a seemingly impossible law to obey. And so it makes sense that they would want to run away because they knew that they were sinners and they could not obey perfectly. But yet, Moses says that to fear in that way, to fear in a way that makes them want to run away from this God is wrongful fear. Why? Well, because they should have known who the God is that is on the mountain. They should have known who he is and what he had already done for them. The people of Israel should have known that the Yahweh whose presence was before them on the mountain is the same Yahweh who in chapter 2 said that he heard their groaning and that he remembered his covenant with them. It's the same Yahweh who in chapter 3 said, I have seen the affliction of my people. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them. That the God of the shaking mountain before them is the God who delivered them from Pharaoh and gave them safe passage through the Red Sea. He is the God that they sang to with joy in chapter 15. The God who is making the mountain shake is the God who gave water to drink and bread to eat in the wilderness. This is the God who is on the mountain. And so though, though it's logical to be fearful of his greatness because of how magnificent it is and powerful it is, it is wrongful for God's people to cower before this God. If you know his grace and you know his goodness, it is wrongful fear for God's people to want to separate themselves from him. They should have known that he had just given his law not as a threat, but as a gift to them because he is a giver of good gifts. They should have known that Yahweh, this Yahweh displaying himself with such power is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And he is a God who in chapter 34 will describe himself as merciful and gracious. He will say, I am a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and kindness. And so, to be recipients of the grace of this God and then to cower in fear It's to fear the Lord wrongly. Listen, when Solomon says in Proverbs chapter one that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, this is not the sort of fear that he's speaking about. This fear of the Lord seen in the Israelites in verse 19 is fear that steals rather than blesses. It harms rather than helps. Do you know how many phobias there are in the world? I don't know if it's an authoritative list, but on the Phobia Fear List website, there are over 500 phobias listed. Acrophobia, the fear of heights. Aquaphobia, the fear of water. Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Anybody? Yeah, huh? Or you've got musophobia, the fear of mice. Anybody? Okay. You have hafephobia, which is the fear of human touch. Some of you feel this phobia coming on you as you come down for communion and your pastors are ready to hug you. (laughs) Please don't touch me. Listen, if that's you, just put up your fist. We'll give you a pound. We're cool. That works. But there are a lot of phobias out there and many of them are, are somewhat logical and they don't really keep us from enjoying something that is good. You can be afraid of spiders. You can be afraid of mice and not really miss out on a whole lot of life. But... What if you struggle with ambulophobia, the fear of walking? 
Or what if you struggle with antiphobia, which is the fear of flowers? To fear those things is not logical. To, to cower in the corner and to not enjoy the beauty of a flower, to cower in the corner and to refuse to even walk is to miss out on extraordinary gifts that are meant to be enjoyed. Friend, if, if we fear God wrongly, we will miss out as well. We will miss out on so much more than just the beauty of a flower or a good walk. We will, if we fear him wrongly, if we run away from this God, we will avoid him and we will not have the relationship with him that he desires to have with us. We will not be blessed as it says in verse 24. And so how, how do we fear wrongly in our day? It's not like we can run away from a smoking mountain. Well, listen, we fear God wrongly when we think only of his power and not of his mercy and grace. We fear wrongly when we think that our sin and our many mistakes in life and our shame and the deep shame and embarrassment that we feel about our mistakes and our many sins, we fear God wrongly when we think those things are too great for God to handle. We fear God wrongly when we think that because of our sin and our failure to obey his commandments and the shame that we feel before him that the God who shakes the mountain is going to take us and shake us as well. That's wrongful fear. To rightly fear the Lord is to view him with right humility. We do see his power and glory and we are humbled by it and if we're not yet a Christian, we should tremble with terror because his wrath and his justice are against us but as Christians, we should also view him with trembling joy, with joy in our hearts because we are aware of how good he is and the great things that he has done for us. And that brings us to our third and to our final point. Point number three, rightful fear. Moses says in verse 20 that God is testing the Israelites. He he wants to see how they will respond to his law and to his presence. Will they run away cowering in fear because of their sin? Or will they relate to him according to their own wisdom and design, even as we see him forbid in verse 23? Or, Or will they relate to him according to the way that he has provided? Church, This is the only way to rightly fear the Lord. It is to be rightly humbled before him, but also to respond to him in the way that he directs and in the way that he has provided. A wrong response is to see how great God is and then try to follow him in our own strength and according to our own wisdom. In verse 23, God says, do not respond to my majesty and my power by, by creating false gods of silver and gold in order to worship me. And then he instructs them to create altars in verse 24 to 25, and that's good, but he, he doesn't even want them to design the altars with their own tools because that would be to profane them. So, so yes, This God is fearful to behold. Yes, he wants to be in relationship with us. Look at that beautiful verse 24. He says, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. That's the word of the Lord to you this morning. What a beautiful verse. Yes, he wants to be in relationship with us. And yes, he desires to bless us. But no, he does not want us to craft our relationship with him however we want or according to our own wisdom and strength, picking and choosing what it means to live for him. Listen, man-made religion 
and man-made attempts to get to God and to please him are abhorrent to him. He will not accept our own versions of truth or what we think it means to relate to him. He will not accept our best attempts at living a good life. The, the true and living God has determined a good and a right way for us to relate to him. And that way is seen in this text. And believe it or not, it's, it's, the right way to relate to him is not through obedience to the law. It's not the Ten Commandments. No, the New Testament actually says that the law, the Ten Commandments, was given in order to point us towards a greater reality. The, the law was given in order to help us to see that, that man-made religion and, and man-made attempts to please God will never work. Even God's plan, done in our own strength, will never accomplish what we need. Your good deeds, if you're a Christian here and, and you think that living a decent life is enough to please God and to gain acceptance before God, you're your good deeds could never be enough. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Friend, we need something more, don't we? We need a different way to relate to this holy God. We need God's way. And what we need is foreshadowed in this Old Testament text today. Verse 21 says that Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. That is an amazing verse. Because Moses is not perfect. God allows this man who is a sinner like you and me to approach the mountain, to be the mediator between God and his people. He chose Moses to be the stand between. God is going to speak to Moses, and Moses will speak to the people. The people will speak to Moses, and Moses will speak to God. That, that's the situation, because God in his holiness would consume the Israelites in their sinfulness. God will consume you in your sinfulness if you are unrepentant. If they approach the mountain in their own sinfulness, they will be consumed. But yet, they do not need to run away. Why? Because God has provided a solution. Moses can approach. And God gives instructions on how to create altars to make sacrifices as an atonement for their sins, which is another part of his good design. And so they don't need to run away because God has provided a way for them to remain. And listen, this way in Exodus chapter 20, it's good. It's very good. But it's incomplete. And it is incomplete by God's design. The temporary mediator is Moses, but he is a sinner and so he can never save us from our sins. And the altars are good that are spoken of here, but they too are imperfect because they are only for animals and the blood of bulls and goats can never take away the sins of the world. So even God's design, though very good and very helpful, is incomplete. It was never meant to be perfect. It is not the ultimate solution. No, what we find here is that these verses and, and Moses himself is just a shadow of God's ultimate and perfect plan. Moses is not a perfect mediator, but friend, in time, God would send forth the perfect mediator. In the fullness of time, God would send forth his son, Jesus. Listen, 
who's not just the loving side of God. No, he would send forth Jesus, who with God the Father is the judge of all the earth. Jesus, who is one with the Father. They both are the God of the mountain. They are both worthy of honor and respect. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the earth shakes before his presence. They are both worthy of our fear. They are both worthy of our reverence, and they are both abounding in mercy and grace. And in their mercy and grace, they chose together with the Holy Spirit to send Jesus into this world to lay aside the glory of the mountain, to lay aside the power and to become a little baby. Think of that contrast. Shaking mountain, baby in a manger. And that baby would grow into a man. And in doing this, God has given the perfect solution. He has fulfilled his plan, which had only begun with Moses on the mountain. Because Jesus, God himself, through the gospel, has become the perfect mediator between God and man. He is the in-between. He is the better Moses. He is the better altar. He is the better sacrifice. His blood is different from the blood of animals. His mediating work is stronger than the entire sacrificial system. He is the altar ultimate high priest and he stands alone as the mediator between God and man. What a solution to our problem. How great our God is. The God of the mountain became a man and he walked up that hill called Calvary to that cross and he died there for you and for me. This man is the lion and the lamb. He is the sovereign one and the sacrificial one. He is all powerful and he is all loving and worthy of our praise. Our God is like Aslan the lion from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe because he's a lion. And when little Lucy is fearful about making, meeting such a lion as this, she says, oh, oh, is it quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mrs. Beaver says, that you will, dearie, and no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. Church, this is who our God is. He willingly contained his glory in human flesh to become the sacrifice for our sins. He is good, but he is still the king. He still reigns on high. And so here is true and right fear of the Lord. It is fear and wonder at the same moment. It is fear and wonder at his power and also joy and praise and wonder at his goodness and love. The God who is worthy of our fear has given us the ultimate solution to our fear, which is his goodness in Jesus Christ. Christ has become a shelter from the wrath of God against our sins. Listen to Hosea chapter 3 verse 5. It says, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. 
True fear of the Lord is a celebration of his power and his goodness. It's a celebration of all that God has done for us in the gospel. Oh, Redeemer family, may we fear the Lord today and for the next 5, 10, 15 years. May we honor him. May we glorify him as the God of the mountain and the God of the cross. And as we fear him rightly, may we obey him with our lives and commit our entire beings to him. Moses says in verse verse 20 that God has displayed himself in this way that we might not sin. He desires us to live for him. Right fear of the Lord will compel us to love him in every area of our lives. Listen to this quote from Dane Ortland. He says, have you reduced the Lord Jesus to a safe, containable, predictable savior who pitches in and helps out your otherwise smoothly running existence? Have you treated what is spiritually nuclear as a double A battery? Might one reason we stall out in our growth in Christ be that we have unwittingly domesticated the expansive authority and rule of Jesus Christ over all things? Might we be lacking in appropriate fear of, wonder at, trembling before the Lord Jesus, the real Jesus who will one day silence the raging of the nations with a moment's whisper? Right fear of the Lord, right wonder before our God will lead us towards living the lives that we are called to live. Listen, right fear of the Lord can change everything for you. Fear of the Lord can help your anxiety because you know that the king of the mountain is on your side and nothing can stand against you. Fear of the Lord can help you with fear of man, thinking too highly of those around you and what they think of you because the king of the mountain is on your side. Fear of the Lord can give you joy because you are always amazed at the great things that the king of the mountain has done for you and how gently he loves you and how he invites you to come to him with all your weariness and all your sorrows. And right fear of the Lord can help you to live a courageous life on mission for him. You can proclaim to the world around you, even as we will see Israel do, that his glory and his power and his goodness and his grace are unmatchable in all the world. Right fear of the Lord will fuel our evangelism and our sense of mission as a church family. It will fuel our service towards those around us, meeting people in their time of need. Oh, friends, may we fear the Lord rightly. Amen? Friends, would you please stand with me? We are going to sing the song Rejoice together. And then we're going to sing a lot of other songs as well. We want to end with celebration this morning. But listen to these words from this first song. It says, come and stand before your maker, full of wonder, full of fear. Come behold his power and glory, yet with confidence draw near. Why? For the one who made the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bends to bless us with his unrelenting love. Let's rejoice.